0: One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana The host asked me if I had a nickname. name Said my friends call me the Dirt bad King She said on the air I started giggling Hasn't had me back but now I've got this podcast Welcome to my podcast
1: Hey, Dirtbags, thank you so much for tuning in to A Dirtbags Guide to Life on the Road. This is your host, Charles Ellsworth, and I'm just, as always, so happy to have you here. I first want to say I'm so sorry for not having a new episode this last week. I'm sure there's a handful of you that were disappointed that we didn't have a new episode. And I'm really sorry. I hate to disappoint. I'm trying to be as consistent as I possibly can with this thing. I just, it was too much. I started at my old fabrication job recently and I was working this driving gig for this band from England. And then I also got COVID for a few days, but it, it was really mild and I was just like stuck in my room. Like four days later, tested negative. But it was just like a lot, and I wasn't able to get this episode out. And I, I apologize. I'm so sorry for that. I'm going to try and be as consistent as possible with this moving forward. But every once in a while, you know, I'm human. Every once in a while, I I just get overwhelmed and I can't do it. Or every once in a while, I'm on tour, and, and then I disappear for a month or two because getting episodes out while I'm on tour is really difficult. I'm working on ways to make sure that those gaps don't happen when I'm on tour, but I'm still just kind of flying by the seat of my pants with this whole thing. And it's just like, unfortunately, one of the first things that gets chopped when I'm overwhelmed. And uh, I'm trying as hard as I can to be as consistent as possible with this thing. I really love doing it. I think that those of you that listen to every episode and that have told me you like it, it means a lot. And I know you like it. And I know how it is. You're Thursday morning, you're on your way to work and you're hoping to listen to my sweet sweet smooth beautiful voice interviewing someone who's really interesting and then it's just not there Thursday morning it's like the when Behind the Bastards took a week off and I was on tour and I was like well what the fuck am I gonna listen to while I'm driving to Tulsa uh come on Robert Evans (laughs) I'm just kidding uh Behind the Bastards favorite podcast anyways I'm just really sorry I wasn't able to get that show out this week I'm making up for it because, one, we've got a short episode this week, so you don't got to listen to me talk for two and a half hours. Megaran only had a short amount of time to sit down and talk with me, and I'm so glad that he did. I'm so thankful. It was a great conversation we connected about video games, about music, about Philadelphia, about all kinds of stuff. He seems like a really nice, genuine person. I love his message. I love the type of music that he makes. I just love that he, he used to be an educator. A lot of my relatives are educators, and... He's taken this love for video games and, and turned it into this, this really great rap music. He just seems like a really, really solid person, and I'm so happy that I got to sit down and talk with him. We had a great conversation, and I'm excited for y'all to get to it. But first, before we can do that, i got to cover some quick things. One of those is, if you like the show, and you want to make it easier for me to make it come out every week and, and more consistent, and you just want to make it make more sense for me, you can support us by going to patreon.com forward slash Ellsworth. And signing up to throw us three, five, 10 bucks a month, whatever you're not gonna miss too much, and whatever you think is worth investing in this podcast and essentially me every month. Those of you that are here listening because Mega Ran's the guest and this is your first time, I wanna say welcome. Uh, my name's Chuck. I'm a songwriter, I'm a traveling musician, obviously a podcaster. I like to make some YouTube videos and I'm trying to do more of that sort of stuff. And one of the ways that I make it work is through Patreon. My patrons support me and help me cover the gaps and, and make sure that. I can, you know, pay my bills or if I need to buy a new microphone for the podcast or stuff like that, like that's what that money goes towards and it just helps, it helps so much and I know to a lot of you, you think it's a $3, $5 a month, it's nothing, it's a cup of coffee, but honestly to me, it means so much and like a lot of what I try and do, it's about connection and, and I try and connect with the patron and I try and connect with the patrons uh, as often as I can and it gives you a little more access to me and and what I'm up to. Everything that I do is supported by my core group of fans, whether you're a fan of the podcast or my music, there's some crossover there for sure. And one of the ways you can help make sure that I get to keep doing what I do is to patreon.com forward slash charles ellsworth and signing up uh, we've lost a few subscribers recently because i know that the times are tough economically like we're having to tighten the belts and i mean i know i am i, I had a restarted an old job that i'm really happy to be back there and i'm having a great time and it's so good to see some familiar faces and meet a lot of new people and just kind of be out of my house but you know it's like it's a job i didn't think that i'd end up going back to and i'm really lucky that i have that and that they wanted me back but you know things are kind of tough right now and things are pretty wild so um you know if you can support me or another artist or or some project that you find meaningful through patreon or whatever way you you decide it it means a ton it means a lot especially in these hard times when everyone's tightening the belt and things just seem shaky economically and whatnot everyone that's listening that is a patron i want to say thank you so so much um if you're considering signing up, please go check it out. I'm planning on doing a whole reboot of the Patreon in the next few months. It's just on the to-do list and I gotta just make my way down to it. There's gonna be a lot of changes this next year with it and I'd be, I'd be really happy if you wanted to join us and come along and and see what those
0: changes are like.
1: So go over to patreon.com forward slash Charles Ellsworth and check it out. Now, like I said, things are really tough right now. And if you don't have a lot of money to put behind artists or projects right now, there's great ways you can support what I do without having to spend any money at all. And the top way for you to do that is go on to whatever app you're listening to this podcast on and make sure that you're subscribed to us or following us or whatever they call it on that thing. Make sure you're doing that. That lets them know that you think what we're doing is cool and you wanna know when we're doing more stuff and when more stuff's coming out and it just lets them know that people are interested in what I'm doing. Another way you can really, really help us out is leaving us a review on the Apple Podcast app. I know I say this every single week and we don't really get new reviews, but please, if you could take 30 seconds to five minutes of your time, and just write a little review about why you like the show and give us a five-star rating. I promise you, it's it's not too hard for you to get that done, and it really makes a difference for me. So thank you so much to everyone who's left a review so far. Thank you if you're still listening. The interview's coming right up, and it's going to be awesome. You're going to enjoy it. Finally, if you live in the Baltimore area, you can catch me and my band, Charles Ellsworth and the Space Force Deserters, at the depot in the baltimore area from four to seven on october 16th it's gonna be really fun playing with our friends icarus phoenix and one other baltimore band that i haven't been told the name of yet but very excited for that show it's gonna be great i haven't played baltimore with a full band ever i've only played there solo like three times and two of those are like house shows at my sister's place which were great love you rachel if you're listening but this is at like an actual venue with a band come through tell your friends in baltimore it's gonna be awesome We've got a handful more shows coming up before the end of the year. I'm excited. I'm going to try and announce all of them this next week. So make sure you're tuned in for that podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. And I know it's weird because it's like the beginning of October, but we're already starting to plan 2023. And between the new project I'm working on musically and my stuff and touring and whatnot, I think it's going to be a really exciting year. We've got that Europe tour. We're going to make that up. Really excited. I think cool things are on the horizon. I've been through some pretty tumultuous few weeks the past month or so. It's been weird as fuck in some ways. It's been really exciting and fun in other ways. It's, it's just kind of been all over the place. And so it's nice to have things to look forward to. It's nice to have y'all listening, tuning in and uh, hearing what I'm up to each week and, and the guests that I have on and listening to their stories. I really love doing this. I hope y'all love listening to it. And if you do, please just leave us a review, tell a friend about us. If you know someone who'd be a great guest on the podcast, shoot me an email, adirtexguide at gmail.com. I'd love to hear their story and get them on the podcast. Beyond that, I just want to thank uh, Rand for coming on to the podcast and for telling us his, his story. Um, I want to thank Jeff from Chair Moses Artist Group for setting it up and making it happen. I want to thank you all for listening. So here it is, my conversation with my new friend, Rand. So you grew up in Philadelphia? Is that that right? Uh, yes. Um, and you know what was growing up like? Where did you have like siblings? What was the the house like?
2: Um, no siblings, just me, uh, only child. Um, I grew up in Philadelphia in namesake, um, but like pretty much on the outskirts of the city, but definitely in the city as far as like city limits go. Mm-hmm. but we were very close to the suburbs um it's kind of an area that used to be kind of an affluent uh majority black uh neighborhood growing up um not necessarily affluent but i'd say i guess upper middle class uh-huh. um and so you know we didn't we weren't anywhere near like a lot of the when the dramatic stuff would happen in philadelphia it was it seemed like it was another world you know okay south, yeah. i'm on the north northern side of philly so south philly or west philly a lot of things would happen a lot of activity and i'd be like man that's nowhere near me you know um totally. it was pretty quiet but we were still you know definitely influenced by like inner city life and catching the subway or the you know the buses and trains around the city getting to school getting to work um the mall and mm-hmm. uh picking up just music everywhere you know such a musical town It's a lot of musical history in philadelphia yeah, Do like, definitely. The, you know, Philly soul movement, things like that Philly, Philly International Records. Um, uh-huh. Where's like a gambling huff and um, a ton of people recorded Teddy Pendergrass is uh pretty close, actually, to where I grew up. Oh, cool. Um, and my mom would play that stuff all day long, you know, on weekends, when we were uh, cleaning things like that, or road trips, I'd hear tons of music like soul
1: music. And, uh, and I think that's where like my first you know, love for music came from. Totally. No, that that's awesome. So really musical house uh, in Philly is such a musical city. It seems like doesn't matter, like the genre Philly, like throughout the years has like put out like really solid people in every style of music. Like, yeah, uh, I think so. It's just been a it's a it's a great
2: sound for that. Like if you I feel like if whatever you make, whatever you want to hear, you know, there is a scene in a pocket for it. You know, we talk about the soul funk scene. The punk scene is legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was R&B has grown and gotten so huge there. Of course, hip hop uh, with the roots and guys like that. So, so yeah, pretty much every genre of music has had a home, you know, in the, in the town.
1: Totally. Yeah. I love Philadelphia. I made my last record there. I I'm actually going there tomorrow and I haven't been there in a while. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I love that town. I'm jealous. Go have a cheesesteak for me. Oh, you got it. I definitely will. I'm gonna be with a a band of people that are all from the UK, so there's already been talk of getting cheesesteaks while in Philly. So um, nice. I'm, yeah. It's we're gonna live it up. I love the food in Philly. I love um, the food, especially. Uh, one last food thing. I just heard that the new
2: the new thing the new hotness out there is a salmon cheesesteak. So you have really? to try this. It's amazing.
1: Salmon cheesesteak. That sounds yeah. phenomenal.
2: So good. Yeah, they just chop up the salmon like you would like the steak meat and uh you just grill it and ooh,
1: it's really good. Yeah, I might have to search something like that out. That sounds amazing. Yeah. That's even like the sort of thing that's worth the trip from New York cuz like if the traffic's not bad, it's just a couple hours. So like oh, yeah. I dri- I drive a couple hours for a sandwich. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I uh um and you're you're in phoenix now is that that where you're based now yes yes cool i grew up in in the mountains in arizona up in Sholow pine top and so we kind of like switch places a little bit
2: oh wow yeah i see
1: um so like growing up i guess taking it back really musical house and city and like what what was your introduction to making music wow i think there's so many
2: like stop and start points but i think for me um getting a program on my playstation called the mtv music generator mm-hmm. which allowed me to make beats for the longest time i couldn't afford a computer uh couldn't afford like major you know production equipment uh-huh and a friend of mine had uh, an npc like a beat machine a drum machine and i loved it i would go over to his house and play with it but i didn't have enough time with it and then um a friend of mine at at GameStop showed me the music generator, which was like a beat making game that you put into your PlayStation. You could sample, you could loop, you could do everything you could do with a machine on your PlayStation. So I was like, this is really cool. That's awesome. And uh and it was through that I started making my first tracks. But before that, we were just kind of freestyle, kinda uh just demo on other people's tracks like whatever we get a hold of i would love buying any artist's maxi singles back in the day uh-huh the you get like the six six ninety nine maxi single with the song and then maybe a remix and then like an instrumental and then a an remix instrumental so I'm yeah like, oh man infinite potential here so we would write new songs to people's like remix beats or instrumental beats or and um and just wrap them to each other. Like we weren't really trying to perform them in places or anything like that. We would just try to impress ourselves. We had, I, I had a group of friends that were so smart, you know, and uh, I think better at music than I, even I was. And and we would just try to impress each other with, with really cool like wordplay, with cool like melodies that we'd come up with and then we would share them. But we recorded back then on like uh, four track recorders Mm-hmm. Oh, karaoke machines, like whatever we could get a hold of. And um, this was early 90s. And um, one of us eventually got like a connection to a guy who had a studio in maybe early 2000. And that was when I've gotten to the studio for the first time. And and I fell in love with it. I was like, this is, this is my life. This has to be a bigger part of what I do somehow. And so I just started pressing buttons and... The uh, guy who worked there asked me to come in as an engineer and intern a bit and learn the programs, and and then I started running my own sessions. So yeah, early two thousands, I'd say. And then during um, downtime when no one was there, I would sneak and record my own demos, and I record myself and uh, things like that. And I didn't want people to know I was using a PlayStation to make my beats. So I would go in there really late at night to work on things, and uh, beats in. But I didn't want to show anybody like that I was using a PlayStation to like rip rip songs from and things.
1: Dude, that's that's really cool. I uh, I didn't even know that program existed on the PlayStation. Like I remember having Parappa the Rapper, and that that was the the closest thing that my like small town like Arizona new to anything like and that and
2: that was great i mean don't get me wrong parappa the rapper was so ahead of his time it totally um, was i do uh i do hip-hop and gaming panels mm-hmm. all the time all over the world and i always mention parappa and people go crazy they're like oh my gosh i love that game yeah you know not to mention that it was super fun and ahead of his time like the music was really well done definitely and uh yeah it's well recorded like it was cool catchy stuff and um yeah the game was great so uh yeah, big big love for Rapper.
1: Yeah, definitely. I well, I, I love that. I mean, just you know, you you call yourself like a nerdcore rapper or chip hop is the style, and like the like the gaming's always been a part of it since the very beginning. That's really cool. Can you talk more about like how gaming influenced your life when you were super young? Uh, yeah, from the day that uh, my neighbor Art.
2: Got a uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. He was the first kid on the block with it, and um, that really just blew us all away. We'd come over to his house and play Duck Hunt uh-huh. and other games, and um, I was just always so enthralled with gaming and with the music of games. You know, I feel like the the fact that they create such cool music that was done with so little technology, with so little, you know, instrumentation. and make music that was not only like you know catchy but like really well done and has like managed to stay with us for decades um was amazing so i was always just really impressed with game music and so i would sit a little mini recorder next to my television and record the video game songs uh because before i mean you didn't have game soundtracks where you could buy them like movie soundtracks so I would just sit my tape recorder next to the tv and record mega man sonic uh you know whatever other games that there were and put them on cassettes and put that cassette in my walkman and one side of it was like the newest hip-hop or whatever i was listening to at the time but the other side was all game music and i'd get 90 minute Maxell cassettes and uh mm-hmm. just fill them all up with every i would rent games every week and just rip the soundtrack basically and uh and that was my way of like reliving the moments of playing those games and uh i just remembered the mega man games particularly or the capcom uh series of games that really moved me like there's a game they made duck tales which had awesome music all the mega man games have really great music mm-hmm. as well and so yeah which is every stage just like sit to the, the game still and then just go and record it and uh and i just loved hearing those
1: sounds all like all the time that's That's so cool. I love that you would like you'd rip the songs basically off of the the games and then you would remember playing the games because of the music. That's it's like I remember reading the Lord of the Flies when I was like a freshman in high school and listening to the band Sam I Am the whole time I was reading that book. And then now anytime I hear Sam I am, I picture like little kids like killing each other and shit. It's <laughs> it's, it's funny how yeah, like piece of media will connect you to a moment like instantly,
2: you know? And yeah, games for sure are like that. Like I can almost remember where I was when I was doing the first time I played so many of these games. Mm-hmm. Which which made it kind of easy to write a book. So over pandemic I started writing a book
0: that oh, I finished. Cool.
2: Uh, called Dream Master, and it's just about how video games have basically affected and, and uh, I think Leslie saved my life um, in the process, and it's just because I can remember
1: so many moments based
2: on what I was playing at the time.
1: That's really cool. I That sounds like a great book. Is that out yet, or are you editing it now? What stage uh, yeah, is that It's editing? out now.
2: It is on uh Amazon. It's on uh, Audible. I did
1: an audiobook as well. So cool. yeah, that was
2: my pandemic project. I finished writing it and got it out at the top of uh, last year, and um, yeah, it's doing really well.
1: That's awesome. That's really cool. I'd love that. And I gotta send you a copy. Yeah, please do. I would. I would love it. Uh, and this is actually the podcast is one of my pandemic projects, so it's ongoing. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they told us all not to start a podcast, but I always do what they tell me not to do. So <laughs> <laughs> um, the and what you said about like. The music that they created was such basic technology or low, like like very simple instruments or not very many. I remember the first Zelda game, which was the only Zelda game I really ever beat because I never – I always switched to PlayStation after, like, uh, Nintendo. And so I never – never really played zelda beyond that i have friends that are like diehard zelda fans and i'm like man i wish i had played but anyways the the soundtrack from that that regular nintendo zelda game still like i remember learning piano as a kid and trying to learn some of those songs and just like figure them out because it was such a like catchy tunes
2: yeah for sure um i think it was koji i think it was the same composer of zelda that did super mario Oh really? Um, yeah, and it's like having a tune that's going to be a short tune with sparse instrumentation, and that's going to loop. Um, it has such a challenge of creating something that's going to stay in your head, but not get boring or grating uh-huh. to the ear. There was no option to like turn it off or turn it down, you know. So you you have to create something that's going to like really stick with the player and not drive them crazy. Um, so yeah, Zelda is another one where the music is like forever with me.
1: Yeah. Well, and then I, my other big game, like I I loved gaming growing up, but then as I became an adult, it just was like less of a priority. So I couldn't spend money on it. And so, but my other game was... Final Fantasy seven. And I noticed that you've got the Black Materia record like that, that game I beat like three or four times as a kid, I my best friend just sent me his PlayStation four cause he got a five and he's like, you need to play the remake of Final Fantasy seven. So I just beat as far as they've made it like last week. Um, I'd love to talk to you more about your relationship with Final Fantasy seven. Cause that's one of my favorite games.
2: Yeah, me too, man. I can remember like yesterday um a friend of mine from high school coming to my house, stand and bringing his PlayStation over because we didn't have PlayStation yet. I was still playing Super Nintendo. And he's like, no, this is the future. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with Super Mario World. Uh-huh. Like, and he's like, no, no, no. Wait till you see this. And I'm like, Final Fantasy? Oh, I remember that. I got Final Fantasy 6. And he's like, no, no, no. Let me show you Final Fantasy 7. And he turns it on. And when I see the first summon, which I guess was Shiva or something like that, uh-huh. I'm like like blown off of my sofa. Like I was just so blown away by this game, by 3D graphics and an RPG, by the, the dialogue, the characters, man, like just the art, the color. There was just so much. It's like a really a perfect storm for Final Fantasy 7 to become so special to people. Uh, it's funny that, you know, when I post about it online, I get some mixed reviews. I mean, 95% love it, but there are, there's a 5% of people who think it's just a product of the time that it came out in, you know, it's not necessarily the best one, but it just took advantage of the technology at the right time. Um, and one could argue that final fantasy six has a better story, uh, maybe some better characters, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have the graphics. It doesn't have the summons. It just doesn't have the charm. The cutscenes and the cutscenes, you know, there's just so much that happened and and that's what a game's supposed to do is take advantage of the technology that is there. And we hadn't seen anything like that. And I mean, that game, so few games live up to the hype, but I remember that being on TV commercials. It was everywhere I bought. And so I was like, I have to get this game. Once he left, I was like, I got to find a way to get a PlayStation. This has to happen. And then maybe a week later, my mom came in with some groceries and I'll never forget, she had a Sprite 12 pack. And the Sprite 12 pack had a coupon for maybe like $20 off Final Fantasy Seven. And I mm-hmm. was just like, okay, I got 20 bucks off Final Fantasy Seven. It doesn't expire for a year. I'm gonna hold this coupon. And sure enough, I clipped this coupon, I put it under my bed and uh, I gathered up all of my resources in a few months and I traded in like all of my Super Nintendo games to a place called Funko Land and uh and got a PlayStation and Final Fantasy VII with that coupon. And uh it changed my life. Like I don't remember a moment like that even since where when I played a game for two minutes, I just knew like I have to
1: have this. Totally. I had a similar similar experience my friend Carter who uh he was playing it once when I was at his house and I was like really just interested and I was just watching him play it. And then like he moved away, he moved to like Boise or something like that. And then that summer we were having a garage sale at my house and we were like selling like an old computer and some guy was like, um, hey, I can't buy that computer, but I'll trade you a PlayStation and some games for it. And like, I was like, it was like <laughs> my mom's computer. I was like, what do you think mom? And she was, I was like, please, could you definitely, could you do it? And she was like, yeah, whatever and like one of the games was Final Fantasy 7 it was like it was like nice. meant to be it's like you getting that coupon it was like my i had played it a month before or something wow. and it was meant to be and i i still love that game have you played the remake i have i think
2: that came out during pandemic so that really gave me a lot of time to get into it and i love it you know it just again it was one of those moments where like i felt a lot of the same feels from the mm-hmm. original just seeing like the pure scope of Midgar, like being able to look up and see the plate, you know, things like that. Just like these are things we just imagined in 1997. Like, yeah. Ah, you know, they're on this thing and then, you know, but to be able to see the scope of it in the way I'm sure they intended it is just amazing. Um, I don't know if they're ever going to finish the game. And honestly, they probably don't have to. I feel like it's, uh, it's, it's good as it is. And if they keep just adding some DLC here and there. I, I think I'll be totally happy with it because I understand that this game as big as they want it to be, uh,
1: it's going to take some time. Definitely. And I, I was kind of bummed cause I didn't realize that it wasn't finished or anything. And that's so how out of the loop I am, but I was kind of bummed that like I finished it and then I'm like, Oh, is there, is a second one out now? Or, or and then it's <laughs> like not even probably going to come out on the four and I'm like, you know, I, it's probably going to be 10 years before I play the other half, but whatever. I'll wait for it. Like, it's been tw- 20 since I played the first one. So exactly. We can
2: wait. <laughs> we can wait. I'm just like, yeah, this is one of those things where I'm like, man, like, what a time that we get to live in where we get to experience this. Like, I just never thought the, the remake would ever happen.
1: Yeah, I remember it was being like whispered forever ago, and I was like, Yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. And uh, yeah, and then I just got to play it for like a month, and it was really, really cool. If I was, I felt like I was 13 years old again. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, as so, I guess moving ahead, before we get too deep into well, I mean, I just listened to the Black Materia record, and I really enjoyed it. I love how you, uh, took a lot of the the themes and music from the game and worked them into the songs could and i know you made that i mean 10 plus years ago but could you tell me a little bit about the process of making that record oh man
2: um it all started when i started playing the game again i was i still i think i'm at a point where at least every three four years i wind up playing the game whether i finish it or not is a different story but i wind up just starting it at some point in my life so I was going on a trip to Florida, or I think, to play a gig in Orlando, and I had a PSP that I had just gotten, like, from, I think, Craigslist or something, and uh, and I turned it on for the first time, and he had a bunch of PlayStation 1 games already on there. He had Metal Gear Solid and um, Final Fantasy Seven, a few others, and I'm just like, oh, well, let's just play FF7, and so for that whole flight, I just played it and played it and played it and put the headphones on here and the music again. It took me back, so... I knew once I landed like what I wanted to work on next, which was a Final Fantasy 7 album. So I went back, played the game again at home and uh, I would make notes of storyline stuff and characters and music that I wanted to use. And then got to work. It's probably the biggest album project that I've ever kind of undertaken. And I mostly did it by myself. My uh, main producer and engineer had just moved away to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So I was in Arizona kind of by myself. But he left me with a mic and uh, told me how to, you know, just gave me some basic ideas on how to record like roughs. So I was just like, all right, well, I'm going to work on it. And uh, I did a lot of the recording myself, sent it away to someone else to get it mixed. And and it came out better than I could have imagined. And it's, it's definitely been a record that a lot of people
1: are very close to. And, um, yeah, I'm super proud of it that's that's cool i really really enjoyed it i mean i've been kind of trying to listen to a whole lot of your music for the past few days getting ready for the interview and that was one that i was like oh i can immediately just jump into this and relate to this and yeah really dug it it's it's very cool man thank you i appreciate that of course i uh um i think we kind of jumped ahead a little bit but how i know you were uh you were an educator for a while and i know you're still kind of involved a little bit or you try and be involved in you know fundraising for education and things like that could you tell me about how you got into being an educator and then what the transition into being a full-time artist was like oh man i am
2: uh uh by trade i guess an educator because that was like the first real job i had um coming out of college i wasn't an education major i was a um African-American studies and English double major. And um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And uh, I just knew that I had enough schooling. And uh, I was about to think about getting back into school, doing some grad school. And uh, a teacher of mine said, I think you'd be a good teacher and they really need teachers in Philadelphia. So mm-hmm. maybe you could do this. And so he told me about Teach for America and they had a subsidiary called Teach Philadelphia. And um, they're like, all right, we're going to put you into a you know pretty rough uh, inner city middle school where we have the most need, and uh just see how you like it. And they gave us a maybe two month, maybe month and a half crash course on how to be a teacher, and then just threw us to the wolves. And uh we had to kind of fend for ourselves and figure things out. And and it was definitely a a building, you know, opportunity for, to really learn a lot about myself. Mm-hmm. But um, I think in the process, I did five years, and. I love it, you know, as far as the the ability to impact students on a very personal level. I don't think there's anything more fulfilling than that. But mm-hmm. um but I started finding issues with the, you know, administration and things like that. And we were just having a really hard time uh just keeping things together. And uh and I was always late or I was being uh, told i need to do better i need to work harder and i felt like i was really doing my best and it was just like getting all the blame when things go wrong and none of the credit when it goes right Uh And but that's kind of a teacher thing so um i think after a while i was still making music at night Uh, i made the whole black material album while i was teaching um and then uh that album went viral uh while I was in the classroom I mean I think I took a break for lunch and I checked my email and it was like blowing up because the album had hit the front page of reddit and um and I was like what the heck is a reddit you know (laughs) 2011 and um, yeah and that was kind of when I discovered it I was like oh my gosh people really like this album and then PlayStation magazine was asking me to do an interview and then another site another site and and it just really started picking up my my gig, you know, intake, people were just like, come do this show, come play this comic con, come do this. And, um, <clears throat> and I'm like, well, I have this job, I can't really do it. And so I knew like, I had to make a decision. And I really enjoyed music. And I wanted to see where it was going to take me. So I decided that that year would be my last teaching year. And so I stepped away, I wrote a nice little re- resign resignation letter. And, um, and then kind of moved on with my life. Uh but yeah, I still try to reach back when I still can. I mentor, um, I've done after school programs, I've done library uh conventions, reading initiatives, things like that, to uh to try to reach back if whenever I can with kids.
1: That's really cool. That's uh I mean, teaching has gotta be one of the the most difficult professions in a country that like even if we valued our teachers, it would still be a very difficult uh profession. It'd be a very hard job to have. And then you, you mix it with, you know, a bunch of red tape and then a society that just doesn't value the work you do. I can't imagine what it's like trying to be there day in and day out.
2: Oh yeah, it is rough. It takes a special person to do it for sure. You have to really love it. And, uh, I get people come to shows and like, Hey, I'm about to get into teaching. What's your advice? And I'm like, you better love it, you know? And if you don't go do something else. Because the kids deserve people there who want to be there, and uh, and if your brain is somewhere else and you're thinking about just being somewhere else and not doing this, then uh, the kids can sense that. So you gotta
1: you gotta be all the way in. It's kind of similar to the advice I give people when they're wanting to pursue a life in music. I'm I'm like you gotta you gotta really really want it because the money's not always gonna be there or the. You know, it's not always going to be just uh, like a glorious or like this amazing, beautiful thing that you're you're just being able to create a living by creating. It's it's a lot of dealing with a lot of bullshit. But at the end of the day, you're playing music. Oh, yeah. I, I, I had a friend give that
2: advice to a person too. like, man, if you don't wake up every day thinking about this and go to bed every night thinking about this then do something else <laughs> totally you know like if you're like eh, kind of like making songs then go do something else
1: <laughs> yeah definitely and you can keep kind of yeah, making songs. songs
2: on the side you can still do those things you love but you know but yeah definitely don't dedicate your life to
1: something that isn't a passion yeah that's uh um i mean i <laughs> my friend devin burnham who's an actor who was actually on this podcast he told us a story of um I can't remember where but some theater professor like when someone asked like you know I keep thinking that I might I might want to quit and I'm like I'm afraid to do it but I keep keep thinking that like maybe it's time to quit and the the professor was like the theater will never miss you (laughs) you know just like you make uh, you make the decision because the theater is going to be here. This is for you. You know what gonna, I mean?
2: Yeah, it will be here. So
1: like, <laughs> you have to like, you have to want it enough to know that like, like I don't know that it's not going to miss me, but I I need it. You know, it's a
2: it's that a weird thing. Truth. It's yeah, a weird it's, thing
1: to be an artist. Whew, it really is, man. That's <laughs> that's deep. <laughs> um, I I'd love to talk about. Well, I mean just to dig a little bit more into the teaching side of things. Like what can you tell me uh, like the biggest lesson you learned from teaching kids and being around kids? And, or yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think teaching definitely made me a better performer for sure. Because you're literally performing every day. It is, you, you, you put on that happy face and you get to work. Sometimes you're singing and dancing, literally and mm-hmm. uh other times it's, it's figurative but you are absolutely it's the same concept you are getting up in the front of a bunch of people strangers skeptics and uh and attempting to win them over and convince them that you care and that you're good at what you do and that they they need what you have you know what you have to mm-hmm. give them and uh it's really the same same concept and i think kids are the harshest critics in the world. I'm always joked that, you know, if I can teach kids, then performing for drunk adults is just, it's easy. Yeah, I I can, you know, I can do anything because I taught 12 year olds. Okay. And these are the absolute worst people in the world. They're not ashamed or afraid to tell you exactly how they feel. Um, And yeah, they're, they're super honest. And so that that helped me as a performer for real is like to be able to hear honest feedback in the moment and um uh, i think they the kids would enjoy me because i was a younger teacher and kind of understood i spoke the language i could talk to them about music i could talk to them about fashion i could talk to them about uh video games you know they saw me wearing a pair of jordans oh mr jay what do you know about that you know and i could be like well let me tell you about that you know mm-hmm. and uh and they really enjoyed it and i think that enabled me to reach them at at a level that a lot of my older peers could not. Uh, but then unfortunately that leads to some, you know, weird animosity and energy as well, where they're like, Oh, that, that teacher just wants to play games with them or be their friend. And I gotta be the tough mean teacher, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, it it turns into a lot of that stuff. People get very territorial and, and, uh, a little bit like, it's a little hard for a younger teacher to kind of get their footing, you know, and particularly in a place where you're surrounded by a lot of veteran teachers, because what we like to think is that what the veterans are doing is not working and the mm-hmm. veterans think what we're doing is not working. So, you know, there's definitely some, some butting heads that occur uh, at the educational level, but the kids are the ultimate, you know, focus. And so if I can get these kids to listen and learn and, to test well then that's really what it's all about and uh mm-hmm. and they're like ah, oh, but you're just you're playing rap music and you're you know playing video games with them or showing them movies or playing fun games you know and I'm like well I'm using those games to attempt to get them to retain information so uh so yeah I, I would butt heads with a lot of the veterans with a lot of my teaching methods but um I think I just learned how to be a better patient and deliberate performer
1: you know, from the kids for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't imagine a more brutally honest audience than a, a class of 12, 12 year olds. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a, uh, um, that something that I've always thought. And, you know, this goes back to when I was a kid and I, there's a reason why I'm not a teacher's cause I got a lot of bad karma coming my way. Cause I was kind of a little shithead, but I was just ha- always had a problem with authority, I guess you could say, uh, <laughs> But it always seemed to me like in education, there's the teachers that are there because they they want to help and the kids are the main focus. And then there's there's some that just want to have some form of power. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, is that is that true? Is that I mean, it just always seemed like I had certain teachers that it was like, oh, you just want to be able to tell people what to do. But nobody your age is going to listen to you. So you're telling kids what to do. <laughs> Oh,
2: for sure. I think that's the case with a lot of people, you know, they have no control over their home life, you know, or anything else. And so they want to just exert that that power over someone or something Uh, for sure. There are a lot of teachers
1: that are like that. Yeah, well, I guess we've also always had those those managers at jobs or whatnot, too. It's just kind of a type of human, I guess, not just teachers. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm I'm absolutely sure that is a type of, of person.
2: These people become, you know, maybe they get into jobs like that. They become teachers. They become police officers. They become, you know, but I think that these are just people that exist and yeah. in life that maybe aren't able to uh, assert themselves in any other way except, you know, kind of corporal punishment, brute force yelling and uh, just uh, just having a lack of general communication and skills and empathy. And, and then they go into jobs and positions that will
1: allow them to kind of be that way. Totally. That's, yeah. I I I agree with that. I think something as I get older that I start to realize is how like unequipped I was or I am for communicating with other people, you know, or like like having hard conversations when it's like, I mean, something I read once is like when you're going to have a difficult conversation with someone, the uncomfortable part of that usually lasts about 15 to 30 seconds, maybe a couple of minutes, and then you get through the difficult part and then you kind of work it out or whatnot. Uh, but it's like, it's much easier just said than done. And when you haven't been given a whole lot of examples of how to communicate as you're growing up or whatnot, it becomes... uh it just becomes more and more difficult um, yeah absolutely was that a i mean something you faced as well
2: yeah yeah for sure i mean i think growing up where i i came up and you know my dad wasn't really around me too much and um but I, i'd see him once in a while you know he lived in the city but just due to i guess him and my mom's situations we couldn't always come up with a, a best place for us to to meet in the middle um but yeah i think that you know it has a lot to do with where you come from for sure and i think like the people you're around can uh can really affect the different ways that you you're in taking information and the way that you can then in turn give that information to other people and um my wife even says all the time like you're so patient like you you're such a patient person like and i'm like well yeah i think that's that came from educating because like you're literally working with kids like i don't see how you could not be empathetic about the fact that you're talking to a child like a literal child yeah so yeah like there's no reason to like yell or have a short fuse when it comes to a child because they're only like exhibiting learned behavior and so when you just keep giving them maybe what they're getting at home uh it's not necessarily gonna gonna turn out for the best for for them or for you Sorry if that didn't answer your question but I just no, kind of jumped around.
1: I love that. That's a great that's a great answer uh, because especially as an educator you're you're not only dealing with how or like one this kid is only exhibiting like learned behavior but then you have 25 30 different kids that have learned different behaviors and are now all interacting with you and each other yeah. accordingly. So patience is probably your only real weapon there, <laughs> for sure. You know, and when I noticed my patience kind
2: of running out, where I was yelling maybe a little more than I would like, uh, that's when I realized like it's time for me to take a step back and maybe even reconsider doing this. You know, like mm-hmm. all right, I'm turning into something that that I'm not. And I remember my my ex, her mother, saying to me like, "Yeah, those kids." They'll bring you down to their level before you can bring them to your level. Sometimes. Oh,
1: damn. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's very true. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. dealing with like nephews and, and things like that. I'm like, oh man, that's that's the truth. And the kids never really, yeah. I mean, you can't get upset with them because they're they're I don't know. Because like you said, they're only exhibiting learned behavior. Um mm-hmm. I would like to like what was the transition getting out of like teaching and going into becoming a, an artist full-time? Like how did, I know that like the album, the black material album kind of went viral and, and a lot of different opportunities started popping up, but like, it's hard to, once you have that momentum, I imagine it's difficult to just keep it going. And it's been, I mean, a decade. How, how long has it been since, since you quit teaching? So you, you've obviously like you wrote a book, you're, you're, it seems like you're good at just like kind of keeping like keep making things and keeping your story going what's that been like
2: yeah you gotta keep the moment going as best as you can Is one thing I've learned about viral success I feel like I've kind of touched that a few times in my career so I've been kind of lucky but there's still no formula to it um but if it does happen you just got to be ready for a follow-up and Luckily for me, I really like working, I like writing songs, I like recording, I like releasing music, I like touring. So all the parts of being a musician, I I, I think I'm really well built for them. So uh, I got asked to do a tour not long after I quit uh, and I would have never had the, you know, the free time to do it if I were still working. So MC Chris asked me to do this giant tour and he was like the biggest nerdcore artist at the time and he's like it's a 40 day tour. We're going all over the country. Can you do this? And I'm like, yes. (laughs) And and I was just very fortunate for that to happen. And I think in that case, playing, opening for his crowds, playing for hundreds of people every night um, really allowed me to make connections with people face to face that would last much longer than any, you know, viral click, you know? Mm -hmm. And so talking to people, playing shows for people, Uh, collecting a good email list at the time and uh and just maintaining relationships with those fans i think has really uh enabled me to kind of keep this whole ship going it's been 11 years now and um you know just from constant creation touring uh you know uh honesty with fans and uh you know just i think keeping uh Keeping your, I think, perspective where like, I never really need this to like, quote unquote, blow up. You know, I don't need this to, I don't need to become, win a Grammy or any sort of like platinum selling project. I think that keeping perspective is so key where I don't need any of that to make a living because I'm a pretty simple guy and I don't need a whole lot. I like a new pair of shoes once in a while. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I just need a computer. And uh, and I can do this, so I think being DIY and self sufficient really helps a lot. Where I don't need a band, I don't need to get seven guys together to to make an album, uh, order to go on tour, you know. So it really helps to be able to be a one man actor, able to strip down to a one man act. So I'm super flexible when it comes to being able to tour, travel, things like that. Um, I always said like, hey, I'm not married, I don't have kids. Well, now I'm married and. Just this year, or as of last November, I became a foster parent. So congratulations, now. thank you. So there is a kid now. So now it's definitely changing the decision-making process on what it's going to take for me to leave the house for a, a long time. Like he's he's eleven months old. Like I don't want to miss any very important moments. I don't want to not be here for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to be able to help my wife with him. So um, so yeah, now it's. It's gotten a little harder, I would say, because now I have to be a lot more aware of the decisions I'm making and the the yeses I'm uh, giving to people. Yeah, and what that means for for home life.
1: Yeah, because your commitments now involve other people.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like it was much easier when it was just me. I had a, a, a mentor artist who was just like, "Man, I realized the only thing I didn't need or did need was my phone bill paid." Other than that, I got rid of all other expenses, and I just made sure to keep my phone on so that I could so I could work. But other than that, making making uh, room and budget to be able to create for a living is it's not hard. You just have to make some sacrifices.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's I mean that's what I've been doing for a long time and i mm-hmm. I love that I can now play with a band and travel with a band here and there but also I love touring solo because that's kind of what I fell in love with in the first place was just kind of like doing my own thing having a backpack and a guitar and just being like okay now I'm just I'm just going mm-hmm. um it's 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 a really special type of freedom um and and it helps you keep the belt pretty tight when you can just do it on your own mm-hmm Uh, what's your creative process like i know you don't have a whole lot of time but i'd love to just talk a little bit about how like what creating a song is like these days and also you do a ton of collaborations i mean your your catalog is insane just scrolling through it on Mm -hmm. spotify is like holy smokes i don't know if i know anybody that is this prolific (laughs)
0: um
1: what's what's that like it's it's I I kind of am plagued with like seasonal writing, you know, I'll go through Mm. something and then I can write, but you know, right now I'm just kind of hitting a brick wall and it seems like, I mean, it doesn't seem like you have lack of ideas. Hmm. I am currently at that brick wall.
2: (laughs) So, okay. uh, Yeah. I haven't written anything like new that I was really excited about in probably the last two, three months, Mm -hmm. but I've, before that was working every week, you know, I would, go into a studio, sometimes to get out of the house, I would go into a studio like a job, I would spend five hours out of the, out of the house the studio, whether mm-hmm. I had something to do or not. So I would just listen to music, play the instruments, uh, just read books, talk to my engineer, and maybe it will inspire something. Um, And that's usually how I've been working. And it's it's been, pre- I'm just very fortunate that when people have been able, like contacting me to do like guest work, or whether mentoring or things like that. So I've been able to keep a lot of irons in the fire. Um, people hit me up to do podcast themes and things like that. So so it's put me in a really unique spot where even if I'm not creating for myself, like I'm able to, to stay creative and use a different part of the brain and that helps. And I think uh, a big thing with me being inspired by video games is that I could play a game and then write a song about the character in the game, you know, or something like that. Or sometimes the themes of the game will inspire something new and so i do two songs a month on patreon and those songs don't even come out to the public so if you think i have a lot of music i've been on patreon for five years and I oh wow two <laughs> records a month that don't get heard uh so sometimes it's a demo sometimes it's a scratch track or a, a, a earlier version of something that's going to come out later but um but yeah there are at least two per month that come from Patreon, in addition to all the writing and work I do. So, um, but I, I really can't explain it. I think that someone said like create creativity, um like inspiration is like an infinite well of creativity or something like that. So basically, if you can find inspiration, uh and if, if you can't find it, then you gotta just find new sources. So take a walk, read a book, play a game, uh talk to some people you haven't talked to in a while and then i try to make let use those times as creative moments where i can work on something new and and just touch a different part of what i've been doing and do something different
1: oh that's that's great advice i love that and i mean if you're not i, I love the idea of treating it like a job that's something uh, i kind of I fall into that trap of of not like when I do when I'm not working other jobs to keep everything afloat, sometimes not being as productive as I could be. And uh, then again, I also have that like overachiever mentality where I'm getting down on myself of like how not productive I am. And then my friends from the outside are like, dude, all you do is work like chill. (laughs) Right? So uh, how do you find that work life balance? This will be the last question.
2: Man, it's really difficult to be honest. Um, but again, treating it like a job, I think uh, kind of works out now. Like when I'm at home, my wife's at work, uh, kids at daycare. That's my work time. When she's home, kids home, work is over. And that's just the way it has to be. Sometimes I'm like, oh, but I got this idea. I got to do this thing. And I, and then I'm like, nope, I have to cut it off. So um, I have a friend, at MC Lars, who always tells me that too. Like, Give it a nine to five hours, you know, as you say, like business time is this time. Don't check email. Don't check tweets. Don't any of that after five, you know, or after a certain time, because then you can balance and give what you need to give to family life, because that's just as important if not more. So um, so you got to just be able to cut it off. And that's what I used to do as a teacher. Like uh, one of the best pieces of advice was leave it at school as much as you can. So, because when I first started, I was taking papers home to grade. And then I would find myself Saturday, Sunday at a sports bar watching football or wrestling, but with papers <laughs> with me at the table, mm-hmm. like grading and reading people's, you know, essays and things while I'm trying to watch football. And uh, uh, an older teacher told me, like, no, leave that stuff at school. Like, finish it before you leave. Like, if it takes you being at school till five, six o'clock, you do that because your home time is your your time, like you need that. So if you if you start blending them together, then uh, you really lose sight of just any sort of balance, you know, and then you're out of whack. And then I think it leads to, I think, just a bit more unhappiness.
1: Definitely. And as like the solo artist and like, before you were married and and had a kid, it's like, it's that all gets blurred, blurred together, because there's like, cause your identity gets lost in the artist. And I don't know, it's just something I struggle with too, is, is like knowing when, you know, it's, it's like 10 PM on a Saturday and I'm editing a show flyer because, cause like I didn't care to find something else to do that I should be doing to just enjoy my life. Um, but instead I'm just making a flyer, uh, like what's the point of, of all this, creating all this art and chasing this dream if you're also like not living your life, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rahim, this has been really, really cool. I appreciate you uh, set the time and just sitting down with me. This has been really cool. Uh, You have a show. Can you just tell everyone listening like how to find you and let them know what, you know, like what you got going on?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, Megaran.com is all of my tour dates and some links to music and and merch. Uh, I'm always on Twitter, so at Megaran. It looks like Meg Ryan when you look really closely, but it's not. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Instagram as well, mega underscore Ran. I'm on Twitch uh, a couple days a week playing video games or rehearsing for shows or um, DJing. So you can hit me on Twitch slash Megaran. Um, Yes, we have a show coming up in Brooklyn, October 15th at Kingsland, part of the October Puss Tour with MC Frontalot. Uh, We have guests Red Tank on that show uh, and Grayson. Uh, It's going to be a great time. So um, there's more dates. I'm playing all over the place starting in October. Um, And then I'm going to take all of November off, or at least I'm trying to for family time. And then uh, I'll be back on the road late november early december with the group slum village playing a couple shows in the midwest and um and that's it really uh, as far as new releases i don't have anything planned except my two tracks per month on patreon oh i have a couple singles though i have the tractor beam remix coming to commemorate the song being in clerks three we're gonna drop a remix version uh very soon so look out for that to our streaming sites And uh, we're going to do some more like exclusive merch drops. I think we're going to maybe drop a couple new t-shirt designs
1: as well. Sweet. That's awesome. Congrats on being in Clerks 3. That's that's (laughs) such a cool thing. Thank you. Um, I mean, Kevin Smith has been like his movies were just a big deal to me growing up. So that's fucking rad. Yeah, that's huge. That's a big
2: bucket list moment. Kevin Smith is like the voice of all the people like us, you know, and Uh it's just been really cool to meet him, chat with him. And then to have him say he enjoys your song, you're like, what is this life, you know? So, that's really
1: cool. Super cool. Well, dude, thank you so much. Everyone listening, if you're in Brooklyn, make sure you're at the Kingsland, October 15th. I I believe I'll be there. Yeah, I'm in town. I will be there unless I catch COVID again or something like that. Uh, catch the rest of MegaRand's dates at, you said MegaRand.com? Yes, that's correct sweet well dude thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me and uh yeah i hope you have a great rest of your day of course man thank you
0: one time i was drunk on a morning show in montana the host asked me if i had a nickname said my friends call me the dirt bad king she said on the air i started giggling hasn't had me back, but now I've got this podcast, welcome to my podcast.